As our communities, large and small, bring back a more progressive Main Street, individuals are stepping out to pursue their passions, and local leaders are pushing back against corporate greed. It's time to engage these community leaders and small business owners in conversation. What are the driving forces behind their courage and success, and how can we continue to build communities that embrace diversity, support the local economy, and create a healthy ecosystem for the culture at large? Join us now in conversation. In this first episode of season two, I am in conversation with Kainoa Harkajo, owner and operator of Mo'olelo Group on the island of Maui, Hawaii. Many of us that are not native to Hawaii or have not spent time learning the history probably tend to conjure up images of swaying palm trees, tropical vacations spent on the beach. Maybe we think Pearl Harbor when we hear Hawaii. Or maybe our thoughts go right to surfing and volcanoes. But we don't often stop to think about Hawaii itself, the island nation that never chose to become a territory of the United States. We think we know the culture because we say aloha or attend a luau. We tend to have a very superficial understanding of Hawaii and the Hawaiian people, as we do with our own Native American tribes throughout the continental U.S., Kainoa graciously and with pride in his ancestry takes us below the surface understanding and gives us context to the commercialized Hawaiian culture we're familiar with. He shares with us how we can take aloha back to our communities if we take the time to understand and embrace it. This episode sets the stage for the second season of Conversation Mill, where I will be in conversation with entrepreneurs artists, community leaders, and changemakers from the Hawaiian Islands. If we want to build thriving local economies and communities, we need to embrace the wisdom of all the cultures that make up our diverse communities. Conversations like this are just the beginning, and I encourage you to educate yourself on your local indigenous cultures and to take the time to listen. And today, I invite you to join us in conversation. So there's a lot of places that we could start today, Mm -hmm. but let's start with what you're doing here at Moalela Group. We can go at that a bunch of different ways. And and I guess on one side of things, what I do is is I just, I'm a storyteller. Mm -hmm. And I try and connect Hawaiian culture into other businesses. In Hawaii, every, you know, our main economic driver is tourism. So mm-hmm. making sure that people are telling the right stories, that we are communicating real culture, not fake culture, because we had 100 plus years of fake culture. So it's making sure we do that. And then on a deeper level, it's just finding ways to, you know, do that in, in innovative and exciting ways. Not It's not just like teaching ukulele lessons and making sure people pronounce things correctly, but also just, you know, finding like the more esoteric, the more spiritual or the more systems based ways of integrating culture Mm -hmm. than just the, you know, do this, not that kind of thing. So since you brought it up and I had this kind of slated for a little bit later in our conversation, but right away you kind of started with the hundred years of fake culture, Uh which I think it's really important to kind of set the stage for, what happened to the culture here from like the banning of hula 
to potentially the loss of language. Um, can you kind of set that stage for us and talk a little bit about that hundred years of fake culture? Sure. How long do we have? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, I mean, I guess, try, you know, to try and wrap things up like really simply, right? What happened here in the Hawaiian Islands is what happened largely anywhere else that was colonized during the the 400 plus years of colonization, the imperial age and new imperial age throughout history. Mm -hmm. um, when the first Westerners arrived and the first documented time is Captain Cook arriving in 1778 on his third voyage throughout the Pacific, modern estimates say there are around 1 million native Hawaiians living here. Mm. Um, we've got, mm. uh, we've got 1.4 million people in the Island now. So in terms of like, if you think about size, right. Um, you know, 1 million people is, is, it's not a small bit. It's not just a couple naked natives running around. It's a, right. it's a large civilization. 60 years after that in 1840, there was a census done and there were about 40,000 native Hawaiians alive. So, you know, you're talking about a 98%, wow. you know, decimation that was the case everywhere, right? Mm -hmm. Smallpox, diseases, the common cold, influenza wiped out the population. We had a, you know, 90% infant mortality rate. Because of that, there was a massive loss of transmission of knowledge. Alongside of that loss of people and of knowledge was the, you know, importation of well, these are beautiful tropical islands and we're going to sexualize the native and, and create this romanticized version of what Hawaii is. And so we got Kontiki and Blue Hawaii and Gidget Goes West and all those right. kind of things, you know, where surf culture and this concept of the South Pacific, even though Hawaii's not in the South Pacific, and tiki culture, you know, and all yeah. of that gets built out of not just Hawaii, but throughout the entire Pacific, mm -hmm. largely sort of spread because of the Pacific theater during World War I and World War II, right? Because of everything happening throughout the Pacific, when the wars were done and those vets went back home, they took the stories of, you know, meeting the cute island girl and the Mai Tai and et cetera, et cetera, back home. And it sort of built from there. And then you add on mass travel with first, you know, like the Lurleen and steamships and, and the cruise ships, but then later on, obviously, plane travel, democratization of like that ability to travel. Right. And the fact that you could get to Hawaii without passport and do so relatively cheaply and easily meant that that the ability for foreigners to tell our stories to an increasingly large number of people. Mm -hmm. And then you just sort of like push that snowball down the hill and mm -hmm. it just keeps getting bigger and rolling. And when at some time Hawaiians make up 10 to 19% of the population, that means that, you know, eight of out of every 10 people are not from here and just kind of making up whatever they want potentially, or just the telephone game of telling stories that, were true in the beginning, but aren't true now. What are some of the biggest misconceptions that even today are still out there, whether it's about Hawaii in general or the Hawaiian people? You know, I, I, I think there's a lot. And I think the question like now in 2022 is even way different than it was 15 years ago, right. because there has been a shift in tourism and how we talk about 
native cultures and and not just Hawaiian culture, but indigenous cultures around the world, right? In an American audience, we can look and say, oh yeah, you know, the the Native Americans, you know, were were really smart and they were connected with their environment. And that that consciousness is around now way more than it was 20, 30, 40 yeah. years ago, right? Mm-hmm. So growing up, you know, if I was back in the mid 80s, we literally got like do you guys live in grass huts? Mm. Is there indoor plumbing? Like when I visit you, do you have a toilet kind of question? And it's like, well, I mean, yeah, we get like millions of people, you know, yeah. that kind of a thing, right? Is there a pizza hut? Um, right. We got those kind of questions growing up when I'd visit people in, uh, uh, you know, on the U S continent, like family and friends. Nowadays it's more, some people don't even know that native Hawaiians still exist. Mm. Mm-hmm. Right. Because, we're not, and, and this is, there's a big difference between if you're in the California coast, you live in LA, you're bombarded with Hawaii images, you know, all the right. time, right? Whether it's some airline or whatever, but as, but when you start moving into the interior mm-hmm. of, of the United States, you know, if you're in, in like in New York, those urban areas or, or the West coast, you're somewhat familiar, right? Because you're marketed to, mm-hmm. but in, in the, in the Midwest, and, and and most of the American interior, there's probably a very different understanding of what Hawaii is. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of people go to Waikiki, for instance, and are amazed at how built up it is. Right. Right. There's a million people that live in Honolulu. It's the 12th largest city in, in the nation. It's as big as Boston. Yeah. So, you know, but and people are like, oh, my God, like I had no idea. Right? I always remind people that are like, oh, my gosh, you live in paradise. That's Oh, your life is so hard. The fun fact I like to give them is uh, Joni Mitchell wrote the song Big Yellow Taxi when she landed in Honolulu and looked out and saw paradise paved over. Right. Yeah. And so I'm like, think about that song and now think about what you're saying. Not that this isn't paradise totally. in a lot of ways, but there's a flip side to everything. And there's a lot to talk about besides a Mai Tai on the beach when we're talking about Hawaii. Yeah. Yeah. You pave paradise and put up a parking lot was, Mm -hmm. you know, written. I mean, that was, that was here. I was at Waikiki. Right. And so, yeah, you know, highest cost of living in the nation. I think it's one, two, three is like San Francisco proper Manhattan and, Mm -hmm. and, and Maui, right. Our median, you know, single family home is over a million dollars. Hawaiians are across the board, the highest for um, being incarcerated, having, you know, diabetes or all the, the negative health statistics um, and, and being lower on the socioeconomic status as we find that, you know, marginalized, disenfranchised, um, you know, underserved communities are like throughout the nation and throughout mm-hmm. the world. But it's, it's, in, it's hard to envision that in what is also your home and your ancestral homeland, mm-hmm. right? You know, we don't have reservations per se, like there are in a lot of the states. We do have land set aside for us here, but there's a lot of things where if people come from areas with native communities that are still alive and 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 changing and adapting and vibrant or struggling, there's a lot of ways to look and say, oh yeah, I see similarities, but there's obviously a lot of unique you know, uniqueness um, in the things that either are but we're benefiting from or that are afflicting us. So kind of stepping back, before you can come into a position where you're teaching others about your culture, the Native Hawaiians have to kind of reconnect with their culture. 
and tie back to their roots. Mm -hmm. So when did that start happening? When was that renaissance? What we kind of commonly call now the Hawaiian cultural renaissance was somewhat part and parcel of the civil rights movement of America. And that's kind of an easy way to think about Mm -hmm. it, right? Is, is as the civil rights movement was happening in the mid 1900s, there was also this resurgence of pride in Hawaiian things. My, you know, I was born in 1982. My grandparents' generation had no concept, you know, and it was very much a the sort of that the greatest generation, dry generation was like, listen, be Western, be American, forget mm-hmm. about your ethnicity, forget about Hawaiian culture, like Western education is the only path to success. Not that not that it's a way to succeed in life, but it is the only way mm. to succeed in life, right? So if you knew the language, don't think about that. If you knew traditional ways of fishing, of farming, of weaving, of, of you know, being guided by the stars, whatever, like just forget about all of that, right? Because there's no value in mm. it in modern culture. That right. mentality was passed down to our parents' generation, a generation that got drafted for Vietnam, right? And, and, and across the board, Hawaiians have, you know, the highest conscription rates, the highest draft rates, and also the highest volunteer rates of, of any ethnicity in Hawaii, just as the Native Americans do across the continental United States. And they, you know, and coming back, And I think not to interrupt you, but I think that's an important item to talk about because a lot of people don't realize why that may be from my, I'm not a scholar on this, right? But that is a way for people to get out of poverty situations that they're in. And it's a guaranteed paycheck. It's guaranteed three meals a day, guaranteed education when they get out of service. So correct me if I'm wrong, but that's why we're seeing these native cultures, indigenous cultures go into the military because it's it's a ticket out of where they came from. Totally. And I'm not a scholar in it I, either. You know, I'm not walking around with a PhD. Absolutely. It was it was an ability to get out, mm-hmm. right? It was also an ability to see the world. And, you know, there's a big difference between getting drafted, not having a choice. Right. Um, yes. yeah. And also, and then volunteering, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I think for, you know, there's a lot of talk also about that, you know, we were both a, a voyaging culture mm-hmm. and a warrior culture. Yeah. And, you know, like the ability to like you and also a service culture, this conversation about, you know, joining the, the services is more so about that and about the desire and the understanding that like you need to give back. Mm. You know, life is about service. It's about kuleana, like responsibility to your community, to your country. That's part of what you do. And I think a lot of families feel that that call, mm, you know, mm-hmm. and whether it's, um, you know, whatever sort of service that is, in those generations, it was, you know, a lot for a lot of them, it was going to war. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, right, so part and parcel with that is, is, you know, just like realizing, wow, like there is value in it, right? And we're, we see the Native American movement is happening, the civil rights movement is happening, and the same thing was was happening here, right? And it was sort of these these you know these embers lit each other, and the you know the flames started to build, and so along came the desire to find out more. Mm. And luckily, we had some 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 fire keepers, right? We had some people, some family groups who said, you know what, we're going to keep on passing this down whether it was about hula or lua, the Hawaiian martial art, 
or weaving or chanting or language or genealogy or navigating or sailing, whatever, you know, we're going to keep passing that down, but kind of do it quietly, mm. right? Until the time when you could open the door. And so in the, in the 60s and the 70s was really this, this kind of expansion of, of desire for people to get reinvested in their culture. And luckily these, you know, fire keepers were still there, these knowledge keepers and, and began to teach. And, uh, what's the, the saying about like when the, you know, when the, when the student is ready, the teacher appears, mm, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and so it's like all of us, all of a sudden you have this whole generation who's like, we got to find this stuff out yeah. and people are identified as, as holding this knowledge. And then it just, it's a exponential thing, right? One person teaches two, teaches four, teaches eight, teaches 16. And all of a sudden you've got a bunch of people in the seventies. It was said that there were only 2000 speakers of the language mm. left, right? It was almost a, a, a extinct language. Yeah. And now there's, I don't know, estimates vary between 40, 60,000 speakers of the Hawaiian language. You can go and get, you know, a, a master's degree in, in native Hawaiian and Olalo Hawaii, mm -hmm. you know, from the university of Hawaii system. We're on the upward trend now, which is amazing because a lot of cultures haven't gotten that and didn't get that in their language has passed. Right. Yeah. What lit the fire in you to become part of this cultural moment and this cultural movement and make sure that it's represented and it's talked about and it's understood in businesses, in uh, government, what really drove you to do that? So there's, that's kind of two parts yeah. early on is just, it was, it was part of what everyone was doing. I mean, it wasn't like what everyone was doing, but you know, you were proud to be Hawaiian. Like if yeah. you were Hawaiian, there was this sense of pride. 1991, or excuse me, 1993 was the 100 year anniversary of the overthrow of the Hawaiian kingdom. Mm. So some, some kind of foreign and, and treasonous people overthrew the kingdom of Hawaii in 1893. 1993 was the hundred year anniversary of that. And it was like massive in terms of the recognition that a wrongdoing had happened. There was stuff going on in, in at the U S Congress. It was a sure. big deal. And that, I think that kind of was one of the things that lit a fire. People were talking about it in school at the time you could learn Spanish and French and Japanese, but there wasn't Hawaiian, like when I went to school, right? Yeah. But it was just, I don't know, for some, it just always interested me. My dad would, you know, talk about it and urge me, uh, you know, everyone, we all, we did, you know, kind of cultural classes and mm -hmm. things. My family would talk about it. We weren't one of those families that was like deeply embedded into being a knowledge keeper, right? We lost a lot of that in our family, but there was just sort of this I just always thought it was cool and I wanted to be a part of it and that yeah. energy, you know, that, that sense of community and like a shared purpose. And then I went to college for, I guess, kind of similar for political science, but like coming back a lot of like for myself and a lot of people who do this kind of a thing, you get what we call voluntold, yeah. you know, it's like some elder just shows up and he's like, Hey, come over here, get in my car, we're going. And you're like, where are we going? And they're like, ah, just get in the car, you know, or whatever. And you just get thrust into scenarios where you start by just holding the bowl or holding the door open or sitting at the feet of the elder. Mm -hmm. And then 
slowly nudged, you know, closer into the circle. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, for better or worse, that's what happened to me. And you just get kind of like pushed along until, until you realize that like, there's nobody in front of you, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, they're there, but they're like, ah, I'm old already. Like it's your turn now, yeah. you know, and you're looking around you're like, Oh my God. Like I now like people are looking at me. Oh, I'm supposed to have the answers. And you know, it's always like, well, I'm not ready. Meanwhile, the elders are like, yeah, you're ready. And you're like, no, I'm not. Now, you know, our like elders, I mean, the, the, the older generation, they are, you know, the ones that started this whole cultural renaissance, mm -hmm. right? So they, some of them are, you know, they are the, the real knowledge keepers. All of us benefit from that. And not just all of us, like the Hawaiian community, but I mean, the whole world right. has benefited from the transmission and broadening of talking about you know, Hawaiian culture and the indigenous wisdom that comes along with that. Mm -hmm. But like when we talk traditional, traditional times, even more so, because if you think about, we divided people into generational groups, right? Mm -hmm. You had young, very young children, but you were, you know, you had keiki, you had makua, which are just all of your parents' generation, and then kupuna, elders. Mm -hmm. But the makua, they were the workforce, right? Mm -hmm. Every, all during the day, they were hunting, fishing, farming, weaving, planting, going to war, whatever it was, right? So who hung out together? It was the kupuna and the keiki, mm -hmm. right? So naturally, once you became too old to go and be spend all day in the canoe, on the reef, in the taro patch, farming this and that, you'd hang out at home or, you know, in, in the village area or whatever and talk story and teach yeah. the children, right? And so there was this generational passing of knowledge from the elders to the younger but that was just because, you know, the adults are feeding everybody, mm -hmm. right? You brought up in that answer, tarot, being out in the canoe, fishing, oh, yeah. okay. gathering, right? Uh -huh. Hawaiians have such a connection to the land or to the aina. Can you tell us a little bit about that? And then we'll kind of get into how some disconnection started to happen. Yeah, sure. So... So Hawaiians, more than any other Polynesian culture, and, you know, there's there's dozens of cultures out there, you know, Samoa, Tonga, you know, Marquesas, French Polynesia, just up and down. There's a lot of Polynesian cultures, a lot of Pacific cultures. Mm -hmm. When we got here to Hawaii, we were an ocean-going people. But then we became not just ocean-going, but very land-based because mm -hmm. we had these beautiful big islands. Um, with a lot of rainfall because of their elevation. And our connection to land became something where, I guess, and, and this is where I like to do, it helps to do comparative stuff yeah. for people that are like, Hawaii, you know, I don't really get it. But, you know, when you think about like what makes civilization, right? It's the ability to not have to be a hunter-gatherer. Right. 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 I mean, like if every day you got to get up and go hunt for your food. That is you know, your life. That's You're your just, life, yeah. right? Then every single person is, is a part of that process. But as soon as you become an agricultural society, it means you can grow, you can, you know, basically create more food mass and less space, which means that, that at some point, not everyone is dedicated to the task of food creation, the task of agriculture, which means that people can be teachers, right. prophets, doctors, surgeons, specialized tasks that are not associated with agriculture. Mm -hmm. And we see this, I mean, this is 
how Europe became Europe. This is why the cradle of civilization is the cradle of civilization. It's, it's people settling down and going, man, I can farm this area, create a ton of food so that all these people can focus on other things. Right. And we didn't write books. We didn't have an, you know, an alphabet and a written language, but the knowledge you're able to develop once people get pulled from agriculture. So it's kind of like a weird thing because we're, you know, so you asked me to talk about like, yeah. I guess, land and kalo. But the idea is that like that led us to to be so cultured and civilized, mm-hmm. civilized and developed. I think what you wanted me to talk about <laughs> no, was not. was like our our ability to farm these lands. Like we yeah. did massive terraforming. Right. Right. I saw a study that said there are more miles of so what we do for taro patches like uh like wetland flood style agriculture so mm-hmm. you know uh like like chinese um you know rice like patties, rice patties right uh is is and remember this is volcanic so we didn't have metal so this is sticks and stones right mm-hmm. shaping land right there was we didn't have beasts of burden so that we didn't have like oxen with plows we didn't have iron or brass or steel or anything so we take water from the river in a little channel that we'd have to dig by hand and by sticks and stones, very refined technology, sticks and stones, and channel it into these paddocks, into these, uh, you know, lo'ikalo. And then they go through a bunch of them and then back into the river. Mm. And there were more miles of these hand-dug irrigation ditches in the Hawaiian Islands than the entirety of the Roman Empire at the height of the Roman Empire. Wow. So we t- everyone wow. talks about like the engineering marvel of like Roman aqueducts. Right. Okay. Well, we beat that. Yeah. I mean, you know, we, we were moving it from the river across these valleys and ridges and then back into the river. Mm. And that was a big part of it is that it didn't just go out. We understood that it was a system that needed to feed itself, that needed mm-hmm. to repair itself. And so if it went out, it came back in because we wanted the aquifer and the watershed to be complete, right? Mm-hmm. And it wasn't just about the exploitation, how, you know, the Colorado River is drained by the Western states and it's not feeding back into It's not diverting this, it, yeah. Right, you know, and so, you know, we did that. We were able to basically feed hundreds of thousands of people, if you think, mm-hmm. you know, by the time Cook got here, one million people, which means that you know, there was a lot of people here, yeah. right? A ton of food, you know, tons of density food being created and then you know mythologically and spiritually we are you know genealogically connected to the tarot plant through through actual genealogical ties when we look at the cosmo the cosmogony you know the story of creation that we have um that takes us back to haloa and haloa no uh, you know nakalo kapalili they these plant the plant life is is our ancestor mm-hmm. right and so there's a sacred relationship and obligation too that 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 makes it not just like a commodity on that note what is the spiritual practice of the native hawaiians from a, a religious or spiritual side hawaiians were animist in okay. belief right meaning animist animism being the belief that that natural things plants rocks the earth itself has a spirit Mm. of its own as opposed to non-animist is like humans have a soul and a spirit everything else is just like whatever you know right just Um, materials just materials Mm. so we were animist in that sense 
we were polytheistic and that, and that we believed in a pantheon of gods similar mm-hmm. to Hinduism or, you know, if you think ancient Greek or Norse right. kind of mythology, any of those pagan right. religions, pagan right? Religions. Yeah. Um, heathen pagan religions, right? Where, but for, so Hawaiian religion consists of four main deities, Ku, Lono, Kane, and Kanaloa. A lot of people like to make these comparisons. Kanaloa is like Poseidon. He's the god of the ocean. Mm. In the same way that they'll say Pele. Oh, Pele's the the fire goddess, the volcano goddess. Um, and, and everyone knows Pele because we right. see the volcano going off, Mauna Loa or Kilauea, you know, and, and we think, oh, you know, and it's, it's easy for a, a, a non-Hawaiian brain to go, oh, fire goddess. Right, right. right. Um, whereas... We, Hawaiian belief is like, Pele is not just, she's not the goddess of fire, she is lava, right? Mm-hmm. So when we mm-hmm. see, if you see lava, you mm-hmm. go, that there is Pele, mm-hmm. right? When we look at the ocean, Poseidon is a god who controls the ocean, whereas Kanaloa is, the, is ocean. the ocean. So in that sense, clouds, the sun winds are physical manifestations of mm-hmm. you know these these gods they're not just inanimate things that are controlled by these you know ephemeral heavenly beings they are those heavenly beings mm-hmm. you know i always say like how you can never be alone as a hawaiian right yeah. you see the sky that is wakea right you mm-hmm. see you know the the moon that is hina aimalama you know, that is Hina. Um, you, you see the kukui tree and you go, oh, that's Kamapua. You know, our gods, our ancestors, mm-hmm. our, our deities are all around us, right? So it's like, how can you ever be lonely? Which feels so much more comforting than thinking of it as in the terms of what we think of religion today. Like very organized, very in a box, very in or outside the lines and kind of god in most religions, right? A God or gods being somewhat distant right? where this feels so embracing of being able to walk out your front door and like you said, not be alone. Yeah. That's such a different experience. And that's probably why I wouldn't like, I wouldn't ascribe the word religion to that belief system right away because it feels so different from a tradition. I hate to say traditional belief system, but in my world, what people would classify as traditional belief systems. Totally. And it's almost, I mean, like thinking about it and our, you know, this modern view of, you know, if you are Christian, let's just say now, Mm -hmm. right. The break between pre and post reformation, right. Right, I mean, that's somewhat this, right. Like the fact that Christians can have a personal relationship with God is, would be unheard of prior to the reformation. Mm -hmm. Right. It's like, no, 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 no. The church knows about God like yeah. that, you know, there's a, there's a hard barrier, right? Yeah. So even now being that, you know, big G God, right. Yeah. Being omniscient, omnipresent and, and, and all powerful. It's like now being able to like, Oh, I, you know, I, I've got a personal relationship with God, you know, mm-hmm. like, you know, just, you know, I pray to Jesus, you know, personally or whatever it may be like, that's a, a foreign concept to a pre-reformation, you know, Christian world. Right. right? The first group, white groups that came in mass here were missionaries after pirates, after 
traitors. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And, and I love, we can totally call them pirates and traitors <laughs> and not discoverers because, you know, they largely were, I mean, yeah. Captain Cook, by the time he got here on his third voyage throughout the Pacific on his first voyage, he was really good. Like told, <laughs> like, you know, he's like, don't, you know, don't get crazy. Don't have sexual relations on his third voyage. He was apparently like consumed with intestinal worms and he was very angry and he was Anyway, was, but yeah, you, sorry, but then yeah, missionaries came, yeah, from the American Board ABCFM, the American Board of Commissions of Foreign Missions, mm-hmm. and they were, and then there was, you know, these these duels for which religion was gonna, which Christianity was gonna take over, right? And right. you know, the the Catholics were despised because the Jesuits were here, or the Calvinists, you mm-hmm. know, and it was this sort of like, well, I'm gonna build my church, well, my church is better, but in the process, we had one of the highest conversion rates in the world because mm-hmm. we were so religious, right? Yeah. We were so religious and so spiritual and we're like, well, that must be like this powerful dude, you know? Yeah. And so we converted across the board, you know? Is there a renaissance back to that religion or that spiritual belief system of everything being inhabited by a spirit, by a God? Is that returning as well? Or is that being kind of turned into, and we use this word before, but is it that, is that being more turned into mythology? So a little of both. I mean, I think on the, in terms of like the Hawaiian community, you know, like the, the native Hawaiian ethnic community and, you know, allies and all of that, mm-hmm. there definitely is, religion is often about the practices. If you're Jewish, you have these certain things, right? Hanukkah, Passover, right? There's, and it's like the practice, what you do the things you wear Mm -hmm. when you go to temple church, when you, when you do these specific things, it's like, there's nothing really like magical about it. It's like, Oh, I got, you know, it's like, I gotta go. Right. And so we are doing a lot of that on this moon, on this star, we're doing these ceremonies and, you know, it's not like the heavens fall and, you know, you know, drums start happening and stuff, but it's, it's like, we are doing that. We're talking about the gods. We're talking about the, you know, the deities and, mm-hmm. and, and what they mean and, and doing the practices associated with them, right? Mm-hmm. These colors respond to these ones. Don't wear these colors at this time of the year. Right now we're going into the wet season, you know, which is the time of Makahiki. So it's all about lono and like rest and rejuvenation and replenishment. Mm-hmm. And so those are different colors. And there's these makahiki ceremonies happening all over the island. Yeah. But also because we are in this modern world, there's an understanding of the scientific, the, the, you know, environmental phenomenological connections to that, right? Sure. That makahiki isn't just about this god Lono, but it's also a recognition of the turn to wet season, mm-hmm. when the seas are rough, when it's rainy and it's harder to fish, it's harder to farm, just mm-hmm. in the same way that Beltane has turned to Thanksgiving, you know, and, and these these ancient European pagan mm-hmm. rituals have been co-opted by Christianity and by capitalism right. to like, but it influences like how we act throughout yeah. the lifetime. So we, you know, go and spend money on Black Friday and, you yeah. know, do these things that, that probably had some religious, right. you know, thing back in the day. So it's a little of both, you know. I think these are interesting que- questions to ask because it's what people are afraid of 
talking about with indigenous people because they're afraid of asking the wrong question or getting in trouble of going, oh, I called it a spiritual practice and actually it's a religion. You should only be fearful if you're asking the questions to talk down to somebody. But if it's out of genuine curiosity, we have to be having those conversations because these cultures do bring so much value. And whether you were sitting here and you were going to tell me, oh, yeah, I... I do worship these gods. Like that is my belief system. Science aside, that's okay too. Right. It's okay to have those conversations also and not un- understand or agree with that belief system, but there's so much value in learning about it and yeah. why these things are done and so much value in participating in these ceremonies, even if for you it is just symbolic like you said, of relaxation and, you know, recouping from a long year, whatever it may be, there's still value there. Um, But I think a lot of people are afraid to talk about these things because it, I I, I don't know, it either somehow downplays their belief system if they are interested in in Mm -hmm. even talking about it, which is kind of scary and probably why we're so divided. Absolutely. (laughs) Right. Like I am 100% on board with you. I think part of what my, what I love talking about and doing and my part of my mission, what I feel is really important, I guess, is a better way of saying it is having, being able to have these conversations Mm -hmm. and making Hawaiian culture and culture, right. Just approachable and applicable. Mm -hmm. You know, we know that there is value in, these ancient or indigenous cultures. We know that because we can say whether it's climate change Mm -hmm. or how to navigate this mountain pass or whether or not we should bring the wolves back to Yellowstone or whatever it might be. These guys have, if it's just data, right? Mm -hmm. Then indigenous people have a very large data set Mm -hmm. by which we can use to analyze the data in order to make a better path forward, mm-hmm. right? I mean, from a purely objective perspective, it's like, cool, like why deal with a, if Westerners have been here for 200 years and these guys have been here for 2000, like why use a smaller data set? Scientifically, empirically, it doesn't, scientifically, it doesn't make sense. But you're right. I mean, sometimes we feel like somebody telling us something that we'd, doesn't that we don't agree with means that we're wrong Mm, mm -hmm. you know and and that's you know that's not how socrates thought about things or that's you know that's that is that's discourse right Mm -hmm. that's dialogue right there is like having the conversation and being like cool you feel your way i feel my way we can still be friends Mm -hmm. you know and and yeah we're i mean we're losing that or that's part of the incivility right you know of what we're seeing right now in the world. And there is tension, understandably, between indigenous cultures and the colonizing culture or cultures, or even just outsider cultures that are coming in after colonization, Mm -hmm. because there is so much trauma, generational trauma left there because of that. So there is understandable tension of what else is going to be taken away. And then the tension from whatever the other culture might be of, well, I didn't physically do that to you. So why are you upset at me? And so that tension comes together and it's just a stalemate really. 
until people start talking. Yeah. Can you talk to us a little bit about how do we start to ease that tension from both sides? Because there's, in my opinion, work that needs to be done on, on both sides. Mm-hmm. But where, where do we start? So Hawaiian language and Hawaiian values are, I think, a good, well, an interesting lens by which to view this conversation, right? Mm-hmm. This particular topic. Because all, when we think about a Hawaiian value, like aloha or which everyone knows, or, you know, mm-hmm. kuleana, which means responsibility, but also like privilege, mm-hmm. it's reciprocal. It's a two-way street. And when we're so, it's so easy to get in our head and mm-hmm. just think, you know, this is my way. And, 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 and that is a, that is like the human survival mechanism that has got us to where we are, right? We, if yeah. we did not have that, my way's better than your way, we would be dead. Like mm-hmm. we, we would not as, as a human race exist. You right. know, it has kept us alive. It has formed us into tribes. It has defined who we are and, and who we are not. Right. Right. And that was really well and good for a large part of our evolutionary like life, right? right? You know, coming out of the trees and the diaspora and like dealing with saber-toothed tigers and woolly mammoths, like really important yeah. stuff. But now, you know, knowing that that carbs just like accumulate around our waist, no matter how much we like don't want it. And that used to be really good because it meant we created civilization. But now it's like well, maybe I just shouldn't have that like eighth bagel, but it's so good. The idea of like the separating, this is me, this is what keeps us safe and you are the other is actually a detriment mm-hmm. to us, Yeah. right? And Hawaiian culture is really good in recognizing that there's always value. You know, there's mm-hmm. always something to be learned in opening your mind. My teacher, one of, one of my main teachers, you know, when I started, he brought um, a coconut cup to me called an apu. Um, and he's like, you know, here's your apu. When you come to class, you always bring an empty apu, you know, and, and he lives out in Hana. So I would like drive three hours to go out there yeah. and we'd sit down and we, we do an ava ceremony first. And so it's like, and if I forgot my apu, I had to go dri- drive back and grab it. Right. Yeah. So that's a whole day. But the, when he was talking about the empty apple, he wasn't talking about like the actual physical cup, although I did have to bring it to class. He was talking about coming without preconceptions. Mm. You know, the story about the Buddhist teacher filling his student's cup with tea and he just keeps on pouring and, and the tea overflows the cup and the student goes, stop, you can't fit any more in there. And the, the teacher goes, well, that's like your mind. You know, if, if we're full of preconceptions of, of I knows, right, because of the way you dress, because of your tattoos, because of your lack of this, I know about you, mm-hmm. right? I know who you are. I know what you're going to say. You don't have anything to, to teach me, mm-hmm. right? We've mm-hmm. got a full cup. Then right there, it's like you said, it's a stalemate. It's yeah. the door is closed. And Hawaiians were very good about what do you you know, I, coming with an empty apple, right? Mm-hmm. Coming with an empty cup. This is who I am, but but tell me who you are. Don't let me, I'm not going to yeah. guess it. You know, tell me who you are. Yeah. Right. And such a big part of that is listening. Being able mm-hmm. to ask a question and then listen and remove 
the urge to formulate how you want to respond to what the other person's saying, which I think is, is another part of what we're missing because we can ask the question, but if we're not going to listen and just accept mm -hmm. that answer as th that truth, then we're not going to get very far. Like just the, you know, it, it makes me think of like, we've lost the ability to listen, mm -hmm. right? Because we're so wanting to consume and we view listening as not consuming sometimes, right? I mean, we spend our entire day consuming, yeah. right? On the phone, going through feeds. It's like this outward, like with our eyes and, and you know, but we're mm. not just sitting back and taking stuff in, right? Yeah. And in Hawaiian culture, I mean, in, in so many cultures, you know, local style, we call it talking story, mm -hmm. right? But, and it's, this isn't unique to Hawaiian culture. It's not even unique to indigenous cultures. You know, mm -hmm. I think about just, you know, people sitting around like a, a cafe and, you know, yeah. talking, right? I mean, and then you go back to, you know, Rome and Greece and, mm -hmm. you know, standing on the soapbox and the pedestal and, and just these discourse that would happen yeah. and the talking and people listening to Plato and Socrates and, and, and all of these philosophers and being present mm -hmm. for it, right? Yeah. And, and, and listening. What do you see as some of the biggest challenges to still be overcome when it comes to getting the word getting's maybe not right, but what are some of the biggest challenges to create understanding of Hawaiian culture still? Because there's such an influx of tourism here and it's as of right now, not being capped. So you have a lot of tourists coming in where, how do you continue to build on that culture versus just constant tourism and it just kind of falling to the wayside to tourism dollars. Right. Well, I, I, there's sort of like, it's like two sides of the coin, right? Mm -hmm. There's one-on-one -on -one interactions and not necessarily one-on-one, -on -one, but me and you right. talking or me and like a family group, you know, one-to-one, one-to-two, one-to-five, one-to-twenty, me standing up and talking to you know, a group of, you know, 500 people in a, yeah. in a convention room or something, right? There's that, which we can, is easy to change in the sense that if we can put somebody that loves Hawaii and Hawaiian culture and is Hawaiian and grounded and, and can like have a conversation like this, yeah. if we could do that with the 10 million visitors that came here, you know, this year, or whatever mm -hmm. it may be, but like, we can't even do that with the people that live here. You know, yeah. there's people that live in Hawaii for 30 years and they're like, they've never had a conversation like this. They've never, you know, expats like living in Costa Rica that don't right. speak Spanish. Right. I mean, it's, it's a, they've created this insular life and economy and, and world that they're in their, you know, funnel, right. Yeah. In their, in their, in their silo. But that's, you know, that's the easiest way, right. Is like, mm -hmm. how do we connect people? But then the question that you're asking really, right. Is the industry. It's devoid of a, a physical being. Mm -hmm. How do we change that? How do we change mm -hmm. the non-physical person, the website, the newsfeed, yeah. the profile, the article? How, how do we shift all of that? Right? It's almost like shifting, as you're talking, I'm thinking it's almost like shifting the idea of what maybe vacation is. Because when you think about it, uh -huh. it's... If we go back to pioneer days of America, the quote unquote vacation, right, would be, okay, the train's finally here and now I can go back out east and see a family member that couldn't come across 
the plane's with us. Right. There was no vacation escape to another destination. Right. So this is a such a modern day problem. Uh-huh. And when we think of vacation, we're like, everybody's definition is so different. Like my definition is not just go sit still somewhere on mm-hmm. a beach. I live here and I have a really, it's just my personality of having a hard time to just sit and do nothing. Right. I would like to be swimming, snorkeling, hiking, participating in something like being a part of versus somebody who's coming here to stay at a resort for five days, drink their Mai Tais on the beach and maybe not even leave the resort. Right. So it's, it's almost like it's hard to get through to those people. What even just doing that and not leaving the resort may still impact the people living here. Yeah. And, and to be fair, I, you're, See, I, I'm la- I'm laughing because you're you're starting to you're like scratching you're getting right, but like we have to meet people where they are, yeah, right. And and by and large, you know, we have created a, a we in terms of like humanity, right, has created a society in which we for a long time into the future we will have a huge portion of travelers mm-hmm. who want to show up, get into a resort sit on a chair, be served, look at a name tag, mispronounce the name tag, laugh about it, be kind of sad, but not drink a Mai Tai and 12 and, and like not have a, not get out of that bubble. But for the same, we have people that want to just, oh man, throw me in the deep end. I want to be fully immersed. And those people can be the same people at different stages of their life. Right. Different people within the same family group. Parents might be chilling on the on the beach or at the pool, but the kids are in these workshops all the time. And so part of the problem and the opportunity is, is can we provide experiences that meet people where they are, right? Yeah. And that's really hard because, you know, as a young, radical Hawaiian, I want to be like, screw those guys. You know, everyone needs to take classes yeah. and this and that. But, but then- they put their walls up and, and you, you don't actually achieve anything. Mm-hmm. Now, it is a modern problem, right? And, and you brought up, you know, pioneer days and, and like this is where, you know, we can get all sorts of crazy. But if you remember right. like the Canterbury Tales, right? right yeah. So that is, yeah. you know, prior to that, and I forget when that was written, but it was a long time ago. Yeah. And, um, you know, the only people that traveled were royalty, yeah. right? The aristocrats, bourgeoisie, the really mm-hmm. rich or, 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 or armies. Or pilgrims. Right. Yeah. Or, or, or pilgrims. Yeah. Right. Headed, and headed to. Yeah. And there's a big difference mm-hmm. there, right? Cause as a pilgrim, you're, you're sleeping. Fleeing, yeah. Yeah. You're, you're, you sleep- yeah. And if you're, and those that were on pilgrimages to places like the Holy Land were sleeping by the roadside. Right. Totally. Yeah. So the way we think of vacation and tourism is what was once prescribed only to the affluent and but because of the progress of civilization has been democratized made cheaper made easier right if you had to have 10 horses and you know all these carts and servants to move your trunks and yourself that's way harder than mm-hmm. having you know a little rolly bag and yeah. jumping on a you know 299 round trip you know flight flying at 400 miles an hour yeah. over the ocean like we've made it super easy growth of the middle class blah 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 i mean like you know that's yeah. that's what it is right and with that comes the one that it's not it's not as special but also marketing and 
has created this like escapist philosophy, which is tied into being a tropical island. Like when people vacation and they go to cold place, Mm -hmm. they might act different than when they come to like a a tropical place, right? And it's it's so interesting. But yeah, we do have to change how people think about vacation. And we are. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think we see... And whether it's just like greenwashing, brownwashing, you know, whatever you want to call it, like right. woke travel culture, like yeah. everyone's talking about, you know, doing better, so mm-hmm. to speak. Yeah. Whether it's the airlines or the hotels, you know, but like, how do we, how do we actually make that shift? It's a, it's been a hundreds of years to get here. Yeah. So if we're going to turn the ship, it's, it's still going to, it's not a, it's not a small ship. It's going to take time. Part of your role in that is this cultural training that you're doing at some of the resorts locally with the employees. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. um, Yeah. So, I mean, I, so I do employee training with employees and like we talked about the two sides of the coin, if I can, you know, I can only talk to so many people every day Mm -hmm. and I can do my best to put all my passion and my love for this place and its people and the culture and what I feel like it has to bring to the world about compassion and understanding and empathy and respect for the natural environment and each Mm -hmm. other and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But I can only talk to so many people. But in my mind, like every employee or colleague or whatever that I get to talk to at a particular company, like if I can just plant that seed, Mm -hmm. then that's 10, 20, 100, 1000 of me out there talking to, and then, and then the the phone tree, the web grows, right? Mm -hmm. So Today, I was doing a very basic, like a crash course in history and culture. So, you know, how Hawaiians got, how early Polynesians got to these islands, how Hawaiian as a culture developed the base sort of like system of what our culture was, and then all the way up until today, right? Mm -hmm. So going through the kingdom of Hawaii, the overthrow you know, the 1800s and 1900s, and then going all over the place, you know, with that. And we do language class because for a lot of these people, they're in tourist facing jobs, or that's hotels or activities. And so it's like, well, how do you pronounce things correctly? Mm-hmm. You know, it's not Hawaii. You know, I'm going to Hawaii. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's Hawaii or Hawaii. It's the three mm-hmm. syllables. And what does that mean? And, you know, all those kind of things. So mm-hmm. that one they know and that they can tell the right story and that hopefully by communicating these things in the right way and and that people feel like a sense of Mm co-ownership of being committed to that it's a real place i always tell everyone like we don't want everyone to come to hawaii because we don't have the space but what we want is that those that do come they go back home Mm -hmm. and you know everyone that comes here goes oh man it's so special it's, it's just, there's something there, you know, it's the Aloha spirit, it's this and that, but it's mm-hmm. like the Aloha spirit can live anywhere. Yeah. So when you go back home, you know, to Springfield or, you know, Minneapolis or wherever it may be, like mm-hmm. take that there, like build that there, plant that seed there. Mm-hmm. Right. Because that's, if you liked it here, I'm sure your community back home will like it there. Like, how do we just spread that, you know? When you say aloha spirit, what does that fundamentally mean to you? Oh, yeah. Well, and I I, I, I don't like the term aloha spirit, but mm-hmm. it is it. I used it because that's what we hear. Yeah. So when we hear, oh, sorry. But, not to, yeah, yeah. Because no. I think the, 
story of the breath. Mm -hmm. And because that's something that I didn't learn till I came here. Uh Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think many of our listeners will know what I'm talking about Mm. when I use breath to talk about this. Yeah. So, right. I I think a normal layman, you know, aloha is one of those things that like everyone knows the word, like everyone knows a shaka Mm -hmm. or it's outgrown the culture it came from, right? In the same way that like you could say burrito or spaghetti and it's sort of like owned by the collective consciousness now in a sense, right? Although we feel very protective of aloha. Mm -hmm. People say aloha means hello, goodbye, and I love you, right? It's a greeting, it's a farewell, and it's a way of expressing this sense of love, compassion, connection, empathy, to each other. And that's where most people stop. And if that's what they get, cool. You mm-hmm. know, that's good, right? The easy, well, we could like talk for hours about aloha, but an easy way to think about it is also in how we physically do aloha, we show aloha, right? And for most for most people like in the modern world if they've ever seen like James Cameron's Avatar, and mm-hmm. now we're going to get Avatar 2, so yeah. we're going to see it again. And you see those big blue people, the Navi on Pandora, greet each other. And you see them like touch nose to nose and right and and, and breathe and, and share breath, mm-hmm. right? James Cameron spent a lot of time in, he has spent time in Hawaii, but he was in Aotearoa in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. And he saw the Maori, the native people of New Zealand called Maori, do that. Down there, they call it the Hongi. And we call it the honey. And throughout all of Polynesia, all almost all Polynesian cultures greet with a honey, mm-hmm. right? And they come together and they touch nose to nose and they share breath. They mm-hmm. they exchange ha. And our word for breath is ha. And it's both like breath, just regular breath. Hey, you know, we're breathing, you know? Yeah. And it is at a higher level on a different sort of layer of symbolism it's spiritual breath, right? Mm-hmm. It's the first breath that a baby breathes when they emerge from their mother's womb, <gasps> you know, and take that first breath of life. Mm-hmm. It's the last breath that an elder breathes when they depart this world into mm-hmm. the next. And in ancient times, there was, you know, like some elders, wisdom keepers would would wait around, you know, would bring their students near them as they were going to die and sort of like, ah, mm-hmm. and like put their last breath into them. And it was sort of like, some people say it was like, you know, Buddha speaking something and becoming instantly enlightened. Like they would all of a sudden know all this knowledge and songs and chants and prayers that they'd never known Mm. before, right? Just through ha osmosis, Mm -hmm. you know? But it's also every breath we breathe in between those. Alo means the, the front of a person. Uh, or the the mm-hmm. the front or the forward facing side. It means a lot of other things too. But and so if you imagine all living things have an alo and a kua, your kua is your 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 back. Um, on a, a plants, uh, the kua is like the side with the spine on on like leaves. Mm-hmm. The alo is the shiny pretty side. So aloha is alo, and this is one interpretation of it. Aloha is essentially like presenting the front of you to another person or another alo, right? And only living things can have alo. Mm-hmm. So uh, you're not going to like a door or like, or, you know, like a house. 
mm-hmm. or a car. You're going to a, something that is alive mm-hmm. and you're exchanging ha. So when you see somebody do a honi and come, you know, nose to nose and, and touch and exchange breath, it's the physical acting out of aloha. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then we go, well, well, that's cool. But what does it mean? Right. Western people greet each other with a handshake. Mm-hmm. Handshake comes from Roman days where people were majority still are right-handed. I'm taking my hand off of my sword scabbard. Mm-hmm. I'm showing you that I do not have a weapon in my, in my main weapon hand to extend it to you as a, as a show of peace. And then, you know, we grasp hands, but the left hand is still holding onto my dagger in case you get crazy and I'll stab you because I don't trust you that much. Mm-hmm. Right. And the home, but then, then the Hawaiians greeted each other with the Honi, which says that, Hey, listen, like, here is my physical life. I can give you, you know, my, my food. Okay. I share my food with you, but I cannot eat for months. I can go on hunger strike. I can voluntarily not eat for months. I can survive. Okay. Um, I can share with you my water. Okay. Water is really important. Some people, you know, think water is one of the most precious resources Mm -hmm. that we have. Right. But I cannot drink for days for a week and still survive. Not happily, but I can do it. Mm -hmm. Right. But if I stop breathing as a human, if I stop breathing for more than a couple minutes, I will die. Yeah. But when I greet you, a stranger, I share with you that which is most important to my physical existence here on this earth. The most sacred thing to keep my body alive, like basically giving you my blood, right? Without that, I die, right? Mm-hmm. But my blood has to be oxygenated, okay? So my breath... I'm saying, I give you this. We share this. And that is aloha. And there's like so much more to it, but that's a really good, that is the, what was taught to me that always really got me Mm. because it's, we talked about like, how do we get people to break down these barriers to see, you know, to connect. And it's like the understanding that that is aloha, right? Yeah. No, thank you for sharing that. I think that's such an important piece to understand and to appreciate. We have sat here for about an hour and talk story. If you could sit with anybody, living or dead, and talk story. That's such a hard question. And talk story. I have so many people. I don't know. I mean, see, I just like love like history and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I, I think it would be... You know, from Hawaiian, if we're talking about like Hawaiian culture, I think it would be so awesome to talk with Kamehameha. He was just amazingly intelligent. Um, just uh, uh, he understood strategy, battlefield strategy, but also just like reading people, understanding people, understanding diplomacy. People think of him as a warrior, and he was, but, you know, the the biggest weapon in an ancient Hawaiian warrior's arsenal was oratory, was mm. diplomacy. If you can avoid bloodshed, that is how you are the best leader. I would have loved to talk to Queen Lili Okalani, our last reigning monarch, you know, because she spoke five languages, composed yeah. 200 plus songs. Um, I mean, she's incredible. And just to go through what she went through. Um, but then, yeah, there's all sorts of other like non-Hawaiian people that I would have liked, I'd love to, to speak with as well. And luckily, alive people, I've gotten to talk to a lot of my like idols and, and heroes. Yeah. Um, which, you know, I'm like people like 
anti-Hokulani Holt or anti-Pua or Kalei Nuhiva, like, you know, Kahulain's Naone, like people that I are like my ultimate idols that I get to like have conversations with and learn about things. So mm -hmm. like, I feel like I'm very blessed, you know, there. And then there's U.S. presidents that I'd love to talk to and all sorts of, yeah, I don't know old philosophers and stuff. Yes. Don't get me started on that. There's no, I can't, I can't pick one. If there's any wisdom or information or a piece of history that you think should be left with our listeners, what would you like to leave with our listeners today that we maybe didn't talk about? Like my friends that know me, and have heard me talk a lot will always joke that I'll like slide world peace into mm. a conversation, which somehow like happens because I think it's such a, without, you know, spending another half an hour just going down some weird tangent rabbit hole. I mean, I think a really important thing and a part of my mission and it is part and parcel with Hawaiian culture, but is so much bigger is like, there is no other. Mm. we are more alike than we are different. We have more in common. We have more similar than we do the things that separate us. And all it takes is, you know, breaking bread with somebody. All it takes is, you know, popping a beer. Mm -hmm. All it takes is, you know, just sitting around and, and having a conversation. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we see it every day. It's like the, you know, that, that white, grandma that texted the black kid about like coming over for Christmas or whatever. And, yeah. and it's been like nine years now, you know, and mm -hmm. like, they're still hanging out and, and a new family has been made. And like, you know, and we always, we're so quick to show up with a full cup, mm -hmm. you know, and be like, you know, but they're not in my group that they're not in my circle. Like, and that used to serve us and it still does but we need to know when to put that belief down mm. and recognize mm -hmm. that there really is, you know, other, there's only us, mm. you know, there's only us and we're all similar. And whether it's, you know, the people we're thinking about going to war with halfway around the world or like the person next door, you know, yes, there's bad, bad actors out there, bad people out there, but by and large, you know, there's always, we're human, right? Mm -hmm. And there's we're ninety nine point nine 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 percent similar, and we just need to. Why do we want to focus on the point zero zero one percent that is different? Yeah. Because now it's no longer serving us yeah, yeah. as individuals or as society. Thank you for leaving us with that. I think yeah. that's that's kind of been the theme running through this whole conversation. And so to wrap yeah. up on that, I think is perfect. Sweet. What would yours be if you were interviewing yourself? Oh, man, I think it's this concept of every day ends. You can be in the middle of a extremely hard moment and think my life's over. This is never going to get better. I'm tainted for the rest of my life, whatever it may be. But the day always ends and the sun always comes up in the morning and that day ends and the sun comes up again and so on and so forth. And even if it takes 5, 10, 15, 20 years, it gets better. Not to sound cliche, but there's, and, and I, you talked about comparisons earlier. It's also perspective of there's people that go to jail that are innocent and spend 20 years behind bars, innocent, that have had their whole lives ruined and come out of that educated. Maybe they got a law degree while they were in there fought for themselves and others 
and they did something amazing with their life. And also people who deserved to be in there, did their time, studied while they were in there, came out and changed their life. So whether it's a difficult moment, whether it's a gigantic mistake, whether it's, you know, whatever it is, like the sun always sets and the sun always comes up in the morning and you can pretty much as humans, we can pretty much get through anything and we can change if we choose to. I like that. That's a really good one. Thank you for challenging me to. Well, it's reciprocal. It's a two way street. (laughs) I love that. Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you. I loved, I loved uh, talking story with you. It It was great. Thank you for being a listener of conversation mill. The podcast is growing, but we need your continued support in the form of comments, likes, and subscriptions. If you've enjoyed even one episode, please take two minutes to comment under the episode or the podcast itself, or rate the podcast. Hitting the subscribe button wherever you listen to the podcast helps tremendously. Every like and subscribe helps me support local businesses and local nonprofits by giving them a platform to tell their stories. Together, we can foster the understanding, diversity, and economies that make our individual communities flourish, while creating our own community here at Conversation Mill. Also, you can join us at conversationmill.substack.com, where you can become a member and receive weekly member-only content, including member-only episodes. I look forward to sharing a new conversation with you next week, and as always, thank you for your support.